0: Bad and bo- <laughs> Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Welcome back. It is Erica on the mic, and I am joined by the one and only Christian Kristen Rayworth, who everybody she just lost her cat so we are going to uh send our blessings to her cats whatever I don't know I don't know what what spiritual journeys cats go on and we were just talking about ancient Egypt and we should have probably like woven that in well yeah
1: we would have woven that in well I mean they you know there's a poem called the rainbow bridge which is about like pets and when they pass away and so that's how I like to think of it. Like, you know, I like okay. my, my, one of my, um, one of my good friends, her dog died about six months ago. Like it, very suddenly out of nowhere. He was very young. He got hit by a car.
0: Mm. Oh, that's she, rough.
1: It Yeah. And she sent me this very sweet note and she was like, I'm sure that Zeus is taking care of her. And that's Aww. like, that's how I think of it, right? Like it's just your pets go to a place where they get to be the youngest, best versions of themselves and playing and doing all that. That's kind of how I like to, like to imagine it because you know that's and it's like you know we show this is like a broader conversation but we show our pets sometimes a lot more compassion and kindness and empathy than we show to human beings
0: and <laughs> I've thoughts, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep those um because we have a very meaty show today and we're going to talk all things Pierre Poiliev. And his, um, would you call it a historic win, Kristen?
1: I, uh, I would. Yeah, it's bigger than even Harper. So yeah. Okay,
0: his historic win uh, for the conservative leadership, and um, yeah, all of those things, and some things about what's gone on between him and Trudeau, and also, let's, if we have time, we're going to talk about, um, you know the 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 issue with him and journalists and uh how that's going to just become worse anyway you don't come here for to to bring you up do you know you come here to rage so <laughs> without further ado kristen is our conservative commentator uh from Edmonton Alberta my hometown so welcome Kristen Thank you. So let's let's just get into it. Uh oh, wait, before I get into it, housekeeping. Um, Erin will be back at some point. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, Erin is like what I call what we used to call West Indians. She has like 40 jobs, which is like actually me. Anyway, all this to say it's not like she's not coming back because she is. Uh secondly. We are starting to do some programming uh, scheduling now. Um, One of the programming pieces we're thinking of doing this year that we haven't done in about four or five, four years is a dating piece. So we would love to know some of your um, dating advice, maybe dating stories, Um, this is open to both heterosexual and queer and queer identifying people so that's something we didn't do last time and we're planning to do this time so we would love to hear your dating stories and um, and some of the things you want to talk about I mean it could be anything from like interracial dating (laughs) which will be on the docket okay let me just tell you we will be talking about that and the politics of that but also um you know we we just want to hear from different communities so you can email us at the pod and i always forget this pod email you think i'd have it up now bad and be pod at gmail dot com and send us a line and tell us what you want to hear about what you want us to do um, work on and all those great things. So, yeah, let's get some user feedback. How about that? And the last thing is, what is the last thing? I can't remember what the last thing is. Oh, well. I'm, oh, here's the last thing. Every Sunday, as Kristen well knows, I live tweet House of Dragons at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then I actually watched the show at 11 p.m. Eastern. So, And in between, I listened to a podcast on House of Dragons. So I'm really, really into this show. So if you're really into this show and want to talk about it from an intersectional feminist perspective, for example, last week I tweeted why there's so many men whining in this cringy episode, in this episode. They were cringy. Oh, is my reign going to be okay? Am I a good king? Dude, the realm is falling apart around you and all you could think of is you anyway. So like those kinds of things. And I'm sorry, did Sir Kristen think the D was that good that that Rhaenyra would run off and like just leave her entire power nest for him? to What, be broke? Girl, boy, bye. Anyway, so you get enlightened tweets like that. Anyway, this is a long intro. So let's get into it. Kristen. So, PP. Yep. How about that? Oh, we also, wait a minute. Here's another important piece of news. Um, is that the queen <coughs> has left us, but the crown has not. The Crown will be returning on November 9th, everybody, for season five. And it's going to go through, we think it's going to go through Diana's death. So now we can actually get into it. Um. So Pierre Poilievre is the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And he actually secured the victory on the first ballot after a record-setting and some would say divisive leadership campaign. After a seven-month campaign, the longtime MP and former cabinet minister from Ontario won the election decisively, like he stomped on everybody else, everybody, securing 22,993 of just under the 33,800 electoral points up for grab, and he his, his support was secured across the country coming in as members first choice in almost every riding. So receiving 68% of the vote, Poilievre trounced Jean Charest, who was the next um, distant follower uh, with 16% of the vote. Leslie Lewis got around 10%. Roman Barber got around 5%. As Scott Aitchison, who, you know, we we kind of all came out at the end for, well, people who were not conservatives, apparently. Oh, but you did too, Kristen. Got 1% of the vote. So, that's what we have. Um, I looked at his speech. I watched his speech on YouTube and then immediately got kicked on to Jordan Peterson, which would tell mm-hmm. you all Gross. you need to know. But the speech was really good. His wife's speech um is very good. She was ve- she speaks better French than maybe Justin. <laughs> anyway, um she is from Venezuela and grew up in Montreal and as time goes on we will be talking about anti-blackness in the Latino community or the Hispanic community writ large. Um Because that's a thing, people. So, there's the intro. Uh, He didn't run in the 2020 race, which I thought was very smart of him. He was first elected in 2004. He's an Ottawa area MP. And I think his riding is like Granville-ish area, which is like, okay. It's kind of like Airdrie. Kristen,
1: it's like a suburban Ontario riding. Like it is just about Polyev that people don't always pay attention to is that he is, you know, sort of the key demographic in some ways of what the conservative party was trying to do under O'Toole and sheer, which is to expand their uh, voter base in the, in the greater Toronto area and the suburban Ottawa area. And he is, he's managed since 2004 to decisively keep that riding which they have lost a lot of those centrist uh, ridings uh, to the Liberals in the last couple election cycles, and Polyev has managed to stay. And so that that I think is part of his appeal to the base uh, is that he he can do both. And you know he won 330 of the 338 ridings. Like he mm-hmm. kicked ass, and mm-hmm. it didn't. It wasn't just in rural areas. It wasn't just in Alberta or the West. It was across the board. And that is much different than what we saw with the last two leaderships. I mean, the one with Sheer and, and Bernie, I think went to 10 rounds. Like I can't even remember, but it was like went through a lot of different rounds before you had a, had a victor. So this is decisive and this is clear. And he is coming into this regardless of the fact that you did then have Alan Reyes uh, resign from the party The next day and you've had a couple other people who've vocally spoken out against him the party is very united behind Polyev.
0: oh yeah because everyone who's not is sidelined it seems
1: yeah well they've been very clear like you know if people thought harper was a little bit brutal to the people who spoke out against him Polyev will be worse Mm mm-hmm And I think that you've seen that even with the back benching of Michelle Rimple Garner, who is now sitting, I think, in the third row when she's been much used to the front row action with the party.
0: Right. Right. And um, (laughs) that eye roll was epic.
1: It it was. It was pretty amazing.
0: I I was like, that's amazing.
1: So I I think it also just speaks to I think it speaks to the fact that Michelle has always been um, very progressive on certain issues and she was one of the main champions to remove the, uh, the party declaration against gay marriage like that was Michelle and that was her baby to get that done at the convention I think that was probably about now maybe eight years ago that that happened. Um, so well after it was actually legal in Canada but she you know she's really pushed a lot of those things and I think you know she wrote a piece on you know saying that anybody going off about the World Economic Forum was being an idiot yeah and so this, this really doesn't align with her version of conservatism and I think a lot of other people who are kind of to go back to your podcast appearance last week in the mushy middle of the party this this brand of conservatism that Poliev is bringing does not appeal to to some pe- people within that kind of uh ideological perspective.
0: Yeah. And it's it's really interesting uh what do you think I think the messaging on affordability and inflation that he was doing uh was um he was he's been talking about it before it became a thing, right? Yeah. And in the in the greater sort of news cycle,
1: well, and I think too, like the NDP came out with an attack at of Impalia this yeah. week, and I think that that shows that they feel threatened by him, and they feel threatened by his ability to speak to certain segments of their base that they have not successfully been speaking to when it comes to affordability, and it comes to all of those things. You only, you only have to look at Ontario and see what Doug Ford was able to do in terms of some uh, union support that he received mm-hmm. and see that the power of that populist message can appeal across the spectrum. So Pauliev could potentially not just be taking voters from appealing to the right, but appealing to certain people on the left who talks about these issues that are not getting the play that they need to from the liberal government. They, you know, now maybe a little bit, the liberals are slowly starting to address it, but not in the way, not in any real- They
0: possible. haven't, they haven't moved quickly enough on this issue.
1: No, not at all. Like now they had saying- all
0: summer and they come up with these mealy mouth. oh, well, we're going to reduce the, um, well there's EI contributions,
1: I guess. And a GST rebate, yeah.
0: And a GST rebate, and you're just like, um Okay.
1: Well, and we've talked about this before too, in that, um, and that's offline, not necessarily in the pod, but when you're talking about tax breaks or these kind of things, that doesn't make a difference for your average person in the moment. Right. Like saying to someone like who can't afford groceries or who's struggling to pay rent, Oh, hey, don't worry about it because in four months you'll get a GST rebate. Like that does not make a tangible difference in their day-to-day lives. And so I think that those are the people who Paliyev is speaking to. And Jagmeet Singh has really surrendered a lot of that real estate to him by not being as vocal as he should be either. Well, what
0: has he done?
1: (laughs) I can't point to one. Okay, see?
0: Yeah, that was exactly what I was waiting for
1: even pharmacare, like pharmacare, dental care, dental care. Like he's, he's really, um, moved back on, on the dental care stuff and he's giving the, the liberals a lot of space. That should be his like big victory to be able to point to that and say that this is happening, but he hasn't been able to because the liberals haven't moved on it, which right. should be talking to nobody because they love making promises they don't keep.
0: Right. Exactly. So like, that's, that's the thing The The NDP has ceded a lot of space over the years. Uh, I would say since Jack Layton, they've Mm -hmm. ceded the environment. They've ceded uh, everything working class. Um, They've seen this is the problem when you talk about a wealth tax, and I will be beating this wealth tax thing to death. If your messaging is Let's have a wealth tax. That shouldn't be the message. It should be, let's, um, like they should focus on what it does for people. Like it's like you fo- when the the point is is that in that messaging they're focusing on the wealthy and not the people that they're supposed to be helping, and they're not speaking to them with that. The message was not about the people they were trying to help.
1: The message
0: was about criminalizing people who had more power. And don't get me wrong. I am here for for more taxes for people for whom wealth is concentrated because, but to me, that's more like, let's talk about capital gains then, right? Let's talk about those mechanisms rather than taxing an outcome. That was my thing. But that's getting a little bit into the weeds.
1: The problem is, though, is that the left has always been shitty at this. They've always been shitty at coming up with those buzzwords that resonate. The right has always been great at it. If you go to the United States and you look at someone like Frank Lutz, who's like a, a very well-known Republican um, sort of strategist, and he's the one who came up with the term the death tax. So when yeah. you talk about a state tax and, you, and using that word instead, late-term abortions, that's another thing that, they, yeah. that he made sure that the Republicans emphasized, even though that's not a thing that exists. Um, but those, that those resonate with people and the death tax resonates with people because it makes them think, oh, you're going to, you're going to make it so I can't help my children. No, 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 no. That's not what the estate tax is, but because of the way that they've framed it, it, it resonates with people and the left has never been good at that. So when you're talking about capital gains, you know, I like to think that I'm fairly educated, but I often have my head don't know what the hell you're talking about when you say that exactly in terms of how it would impact my life or the life of people around me and the left need to get better at that, whether that's sing or that's trio, because they don't frame these things well. And so your average middle-class person or those seeking to join it, um, don't look at this language and understand what you're trying to say to them. They're very bad at the elevator speech piece of that. And that's something Pierre, Pierre Polyev excels at is being able to explain something complex, even if it's not always true, in a very quick and succinct way that resonates.
0: Well, that's very interesting because um, one of the things that, now, A, I have a question. A, do you think, I think meme culture has helped um, the right do better at this. And uh, I agree. And the left has been taken up by pro- what, what David Mosscroft would call the professional managerial class. And the professional managerial class are consultants and this and that, academia, yada, yada, yada. Those are not the people who are snappy, you know, with the messaging. Like, just inflation is brilliant.
1: It is. Yeah. And if whether or not you think it, and I've seen all these people push back on Twitter, like, about it. But it doesn't matter what, like, the Twitter class, and now I sound like Jason Kenney, but, like, the Twitter class say because you hear that and it sticks in your head, even if you don't agree with it, it resonates. And you see these kind of like lengthy academic responses. And this happens in Alberta too, all the time. Yeah. When we were going into our uh, referendum on equalization that we had here, and you would see a lot of academics post like lengthy threads about why this made no sense, all the reasons why it wasn't clear, but that doesn't, that's not able to compete with the messaging from the right which is basically Ottawa is stealing from us and like that kind of that breeding of resentment that the right has has been able to weaponize in such an incredibly uh, effective way because they people in Alberta even now even though we're sitting on a record surplus because of oil and gas so we're doing fine they're still able to breed that resentment and that anger towards Ottawa, despite the fact that it literally makes absolutely no sense because the other side doesn't do a very good job of explaining why we should be actually like not as mad as a lot of people are.
0: Mm, Exactly. Exactly. And that's a good point. Um, What did you think of the speech?
1: I thought the speech was great. I thought that both their speeches were great. Um, Anapoliev is a different kind of political spouse because she is a, she was a staffer she worked for michael cooper i believe um so she's been around the hill for a long time she's not someone who's just you know married to a politician she's been engaged in politics engaged in partisan politics for quite some time wait a minute for- michael
0: cooper who was uh who was <laughs> whose picture was taken outside like right in front of a nazi flag and i thought it was perfect okay
1: oh uh, yeah well i yeah Michael. my well, michael cooper um who is a very popular M- MP. Like I'm sure very,
0: he is. I am not surprised.
1: I've known Michael Cooper for a very, very long time. And he's always sounded like a 60-year-old man, even when he was 14. So he was, you know, bound for this world in some ways. But so she is different. She's not going to be doing the kind of like sweet little speeches and doing like pet projects the way she that did other people other political spouses do she's going to be in there just as much as he is because she's a political animal just like he is
0: oh i know i saw a political animal i saw i was like maybe we should elect her (laughs) (laughs) you know like like i was just i don't know i i i felt that the two of them have the bases covered um no pun intended
1: like and here's the thing that i think that people don't really realize because there's such a knee jerk reaction to Polyev, like calling him a white supremacist calling him all these things and what they don't understand is your average voter is going to look at Pierre Polyev, whose wife is is Latina who he has you know his his dad is gay he has all of these different it's going to be a lot he's pro-choice it's going to be a lot harder to put him in a box than it was with Sheer, for example. Like Andrew It was very easy because he was obviously very uncomfortable around issues like LGBTQ2S issues. And it was easy to do that. He was pro-life. So it was easy to paint him as dangerous for your average Canadian voter. So not like your Twitterite partisan people, but your average Canadian voter is not going to go into the next election. And it's not going to be as easy for that person to see Polly up as dangerous as it was with... Uh, with sheer as an example
0: agreed I would agree with that um so we did say uh and and she is I hate to do this and I hate to pit women against each other or but let's just do a comparison with like Sophie like that's a different woman altogether like it's she seemed to me like a kind of um uh partner like this is the first partner that i've seen who is just as good maybe even better than him and when you talk about feminism because that's going to be an issue and Mm -hmm. women's rights and so on there's there's going to be a problem with trying to take them down i'm just saying
1: Well, and I think, too, that people forget that in 2015, when we elected Trudeau, one of the appeals to him was he was young, he had young children, he had this beautiful young family, because his kids, I think one of his, I think his youngest was, like, maybe not even, like, two, I think, when he won in 2015. And and that exact thing that made Trudeau appealing exists for Polyev. Like, Polyev's youngest child just turned a year old, I believe, at caucus. Like, he brought his son to caucus for... Uh, his birthday. And so they have beautiful children. They're a beautiful looking family. And anyone who says that that doesn't matter is not, does not pay attention to the way optics work. They don't pay attention to the way that Obama, same thing, like when he was elected in 2008.
0: It was a young family. JFK, same thing.
1: Yeah, well, that's why there's still that mystique about JFK because that is really the only president that I think has existed in the last like 60, 70 years who had very very small children because of course the US likes to elect senior citizens so it's difficult to have young children around when everybody in the office is like 75 years old Mm
0: -hmm. and then we have questions if that's the case
1: yeah (laughs) but so in so I think for us like that was one of the appeals of Trudeau like we have had historically significantly younger leaders I mean going back to my favorite obviously like Joe Clark was 39 when he became prime minister his daughter I was only about two or three Mulroney had young young children when he was in office like we have had um historically quite younger prime ministers and I think that that's some of the appeal that youthfulness and while Polyev I think is my age ish I think he's somewhere like around our age Mm -hmm. um there's still that youthfulness about him and I think that that cannot be discounted in terms of the appeal that that will have going forward
0: right right so, um, tell us what happened in this uh, election. What, 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 what the fuck, Matt? What happened to Jean Charest?
1: First of all, I think that, you know, right out of the gate, this was Polyevs to lose because he had worked in the last couple of years to really build up his support, build up caucus support. He has been a superstar in question, period. Yeah. Um, SMC-Lavalin, the Wee scandal, all of that. He built up... this this sort of aura of himself over the last couple of years as being a bulldog and very uh, effective in his role. So people were excited for him to run uh, when he ran with the platform that he did, which was very much co-developed, I'm sure, between him and Jenny Byrne. It was this idea of being an unapologetic conservative. We are not going to apologize to media. We are not going to um, kowtow to whatever... Uh, social media wants us to say or do we're gonna be who we are unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Whether you like that or not, it appeals to the base. And he was able also to appeal to the base through a lot of frustration and anger around vaccine mandates. And then Jean Shrey comes in as an establishment candidate who historically have not done well, but you go to Peter McKay, he was an establishment candidate. Even Max Bernier, we forget that Max Bernier hasn't always been insane. And when he ran in the leadership against Shear, he was the establishment candidate. He was considered to be a moderate conservative from Quebec who you know was, was saying moderately conservative things. Like this was like, I don't know what's happened to him since, but he was normal then-ish. So moderates have typically not done well in these leaderships anyway. The only reason Aaron won was because Aaron like veered to the right hard in his leadership uh, election and he appealed to social conservatives despite the fact that he isn't one. But I think the other problem with Jean Charest, and I say this respectfully, because I know a lot of the people who ran his campaign and I liked them personally, but they ran a really shitty campaign. They ran a really bad campaign. He wasn't out there. He wasn't addressing things. Like they were not hitting on the marks that they needed to be. And...
0: Their graphic design didn't even reach the level of Canva Pro. <sighs>
1: Well, and, and the other thing is, is like, you can't just market yourself as the non-Pierre Polyev like that, and that was a lot of what they did. And, you know, they did have a platform they did come out with issues, but they just, they just didn't, weren't, weren't hitting the marks in the right way. And that is because a lot of the people connected to that campaign and Jean Charest himself don't understand the conservative base, not at all. And that's why they lost because they didn't understand who they were trying to, to talk to because they haven't been engaged in that grassroots piece of the party for a very long time.
0: But this is the other thing. Okay, so let's just be honest. Centrist candidates, neoliberals and stuff aren't in vogue. They are doing well. If you look at, if you look at Ottawa's mayoral race right now, there's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is happening i will always say this is my whole treatise on this whole thing is that the whatever economic instability and inequality economic inequality brings political division and political division brings extreme positions and extreme positions bring in all sorts of fuckery so centrists who have been ruling the world that people find themselves barely Barely keeping their head above water, in are not in vogue. I mean, I gotta say, Macron was lucky. Hmm. He, he, yeah, it- he was lucky because I, I was sure that France was going to turn full right, and and that's the thing. Look at Sweden, Italy right now. All this is all happening because in Europe. 2008 still looms. Right. Mm -hmm. And that economic crisis. And then you have a pandemic, which is not just about economics. It's a societal crisis, too. And so that has been broadly mismanaged by the same type of people Jean Charest represents.
1: Well, and I think you So know, I'm not it,
0: surprised is my point. And why these fuckers can't read the tea leaves
1: is beyond me. Kerry Dia was a two-time MP who lost to Blake Desgerlet. And I hear conservatives say, Oh, he was a good MP. No, he fucking wasn't. Like that that is the thing that people don't understand. If you're not in the community, you don't if he is not responding to his constituents, if you aren't present, going back to Michael Cooper as another example, people don't understand why he keeps winning. You know why he keeps winning? Because I know people who live in his riding who if they contact his constituent office, they will get support or help within an hour. He is very engaged in his constituency and very present. And Carrie Diop wasn't. And that's where people need to understand. That's where the work is. It is in that grassroots piece. It is being present in your community. It is understanding um, what people want and what people need. And until you actually talk to people, which Pierre Poliev has been very, very good at, you are not going to know what message resonates with them, and just because you think you're great and you think that you have this like aura about you, like I believe that maybe Churay's people thought like was oh, Jean Churay. No, he didn't know what the base wanted. He didn't speak to the base, and in a lot of ways, he actually insulted the base, and that did not work for him. Clearly,
0: yeah, and that's the thing. I, I just you know we, um, we think that politics the best. Came up with that nonsense that the best policies and ideas win. People used to, you know, what? It's those same neoliberals. It's those same centrists that are losing elections, telling you that shit.
1: Well, and it's you know, it, it, it. I think that somewhere along the line, people, and this is not this is like across the board where people think that because they believe so much in the integrity of the policies that they like or the positions that they like or whatever, that they think that's enough, and it's not because. The vast majority of Canadians do not sit on Twitter. They do not spend their time reading, you know, all the stuff that you and I do every day all the time. Like, we, you know, normals, as we the refer The
0: normals, to that. yeah.
1: Normals. Um, what matters to them is their ability to do basic things. And we have forgotten the importance of those basic things. Someone being able to afford groceries, gas in their car, to be able to buy a home, to have the things that we, like our parents did not... Struggle the way that, that our generation is, and the way the generations below us are in terms of affordability. Like my parents, I think the first house was like thirty five thousand dollars, and I'm just like, what the fuck? How's that even? I can't even imagine that. And they were able to build up wealth and accumulate wealth because they didn't struggle with the same things that we are right now. And I and it's like that's been forgotten at the altar of some of these bigger broader like policies and I mean I don't mean to say this pejoratively but it is like a social justice like okay well these great ideas and forgetting the basic necessities of what people need to live their lives and that's where Pierre Pauli resonates as well I think above Trudeau
0: I think yeah and I, I just think that Trudeau doesn't speak to that anymore
1: no and neither change. does the NDP. Neither does the NDP. I mean, we, we could do a whole podcast on shitting on the NDP, but they don't. And Jack Layton did. And there's a reason why he is so revered. And it's not just because we lost him before his time. So he kind of has this certain jfk like thing because he was never able to disappoint us really. Um, but he spoke to people that way. He connected to people that way. And since then, I mean, Mulcair certainly didn't. And I don't think Singh has been able to, to, to replicate that at all. I mean, there's probably other reasons why he struggled in Quebec, but there's, and I don't think you have that. Whereas in Alberta, and I'm sorry to always bring it back to Alberta, but that's why you're
0: here, Kristen, but
1: not Lee Can there is, she resonates with people. She is when she talks, people feel like she's hearing them and they understand and there that's that's and that's where she is really good in that grassroots thing that being able to make every single person that she talks to feel like you know she's more interested in them than she has been in anyone ever like she's very good at that and, and we talked again,
0: about that with jason kenny yep yeah. and well, i and don't know
1: what happened to that version of the guy that you and i both talked about because he certainly wasn't present the last couple of years
0: no no covid really fucked him up
1: it did it
0: really did like he didn't know this is a thing when you have things so meticulously calculated you can't do agility
1: no and i mean and and it's an not, adaptation it, or, And yeah. as, as we both know in ontario it's not a question of like pandemic management because ford did more ridiculous shit than kenny did like didn't he like what, didn't he make it like illegal for you to go out unless you had your dog or something yeah like, But he didn't. But then he came back with a bigger majority than he had before. Francois Legault, same thing. He brought in insane restrictions, but also had, you know, massive deaths in long term care. He's going to sail to a massive majority in the Quebec election. So it's it's a more personality thing and ability to resonate than it is on the policy.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. So what would the liberal Okay. what would the NDP have to do? To because Aaron O'Toole was trying this too, actually, was trying to move to um, more working class. Uh, You know, it's one of the things where I was like, this is actually smart, Aaron. It's too bad you can't deliver. Um, But Pierre Poiliev can definitely deliver. And I remember giving like an anti racism speech at the, uh, oh, what's that big union? That national union. Anyway, uniform? no, not uniform. Another one. And I can't ah. remember. No, the, the big umbrella union that. Oversees all unions anyway. Um, and I was like, you guys have like a, a problem with white supremacy. And that was before the pandemic. And like people were bringing it up. And I feel like unions just ignored the issue. Well, but I think on the other hand, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. On the other hand, the NDP has not, I would say, except for the fairness in fifteen, or fairness at fifteen, was it? Was that like like minimum wage boost thing? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Fifteen and fairness, or something like that. Anyway, um, it's. I like the NDP didn't really get on board till late that was like a that was more grassroots the people doing the real stuff the real work are literally people getting together in grassroots organizations trying to trying to get you know um trying to get attention for certain issues for example and it hasn't been the political parties that have actually been taking this and running with it and I find that really interesting. I think, I can't remember where I was, but I was talking about how unionization is spreading, but mm-hmm. it's not spreading amongst your typical unions. They're still losing people. It's like it's like a new generation getting together and say we need representation and then doing it themselves. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. What is it about established unions that um, have seemed to fail their workers and the political connections they usually have have failed them too, failed the workers too. And I think that's really interesting.
1: Well, and I think it's, it's, it's a very different world, right? And I think a lot of people who are coming up now and youth who are coming up now, like, cause you've seen like with, whether it's the Starbucks unionization movement mm-hmm. or other organizations that typically had not historically had unions, it's because they've they, they've gone through the last two and a half years as essential workers and realized how completely fucked they were getting mm-hmm. by the structures around them. Mm-hmm. Because you know, and this is where again Polyam has been able to capitalize on this. Because, for example, during the during the pandemic, during the vast majority of the shutdown component to that and everything else, I worked for the government of Alberta, so I never once was afraid for my salary. I mm-hmm. was able to work from home. I was mm-hmm. able to, you know, well, actually we were mandated to work from home, but I was able to, to go through that period without the fear of losing my job, without mm-hmm. the fear of having to, to, to go into work and getting COVID. And the right has been able to capitalize on that kind of, um, I guess, inequality that exists between someone like me, who in Alberta can even call us the laptop class, And someone who works at Save on Foods, for example, who has no choice but to go into work, someone who works at a long term care facility, who oftentimes lives with, you know, uh, multi generational families, and all of the different people who were negatively impacted by the pandemic, who didn't have access to the security that someone like I did. Mm -hmm. So I think that Polyev has been able to appeal to them saying is almost like giving them up. In a way. And he's, you know, yeah, he did do a lot of work on the serve. And like, they, there was stuff that the NDP pushed that I think the liberals did because of that. But you have this whole group of people who are disaffected NDP peers who don't know where their vote's going to go. And that is, again, a place where Polly has managed to do extremely well. And if you go back even to 2016 when Donald Trump won, there was a chunk of his voters who were Bernie Sanders supporters. These yeah. are not people who are hard right Republicans. They mm-hmm. were people who saw globalization and the impacts of that in their communities, destroying their, their, their quality of life, who felt mm-hmm. that they weren't being heard, who didn't see Hillary Clinton as someone who could speak to that for them. And so... They, they thought Trump could, and they aren't. And so, again, and this is like this group of people, the voting base has completely shifted in the last 10 years. And pan, the, the pandemic and a lot of globalization and a lot of other things have impacted that. But to assume that everybody who could vote for Pierre is doing so because they are a hard right voter is incorrect.
0: I agree. I agree. Nothing's ever that black and white.
1: No. Well, except for on Twitter where nuance doesn't exist.
0: No. Uh, well, of course. Of course. Um, so since then, since his incredible win, um, yeah, he's been hunkering down in question period. I guess. Okay, so let's talk about David Aiken.
1: <laughs> okay
0: so david aiken i guess went to um their uh pierre poiliev called a press conference his first
1: conference's leader
0: his first press conference's leader and decided to take no questions and that david aiken who was not impressed by this um basically was like why aren't you taking questions can i ask a question and then pierre poiliev then, um, I really should find the audio for this. He
1: called him a liberal hack, and uh, and then the other thing that came out of this that I think is important to know is that Pierre Polyev's press secretary tweeted that uh, basically that David Aiken had told uh, Pierre Polyev to go fuck himself, which, which is never not true. Happened, right? No, David Aiken said, "I'm not your fucking stenographer," which no, you were not. And it's hilarious that anyone would point, because then Pierre Polyev sent out a, a fundraising email based off of this encounter with David Aiken, yeah. framing David Aiken as a liberal hack. David Aiken worked for Sun News, for Christ's sakes. The guy is a lot of things, but he is certainly not some flaming liberal who's just like wearing an I love Trudeau shirt. So of all people to go after and to criticize, this is a very interesting choice this would be like if Doug Ford was like Brian Lilly is being mean to me because he's a secret commie like it just it doesn't make any sense
0: can you imagine can you imagine that'd be dope anyway uh (laughs) so which brings us to Dale Smith
1: Mm -hmm. so I mean Dale Smith is a is I mean I'm he's very friendly to the liberals in a lot of ways in which he covers them Mm -hmm. um independent journalist and he put out a tweet criticizing garnet jenis i always mispronounce garnet's name i'm sorry not that i think he's listening so he probably won't care um basically making a reference to his his joke being bad and something about shooting horses i believe is what he said and so this was taken again by by Polev, but also by Shear, who has taken a very interesting role in the Polyev government. Andrew Shear has gone from being one of the most boring people in politics to all of a sudden becoming an attack dog within the Polyev government like it's it's Andrew Shear who basically you can almost guarantee every time will take to Twitter and attack people and go after people on behalf of Polyev. He has sort of taken on the Polyev role of attack dog, which has been interesting. Development for someone whose like biggest claim before was like I love milk, so it's a it's a switch. But so he went after them. They demanded that um, Dale's uh, ability to be part of the press gallery got stripped. The press gallery's response: Wait,
0: wait, wait! Did they strip him?
1: No, but the press gallery. That's what the the CBC demanded. The press gallery like sent out a tweet being like, "Oh, we're very sorry." Like it's it's. It's an interesting approach that they've. They, I think now it's like, it, it feels like people are getting afraid of the way that Paul. Like, oh, we don't want to piss off Paulie up because we still want to be able to cover him and we want to be able to do this without being able to look at the tweet and saying, was it stupid? Yeah, like I don't think it was a good tweet. I'm not a big fan of the tone of the way that he approached it. But like, give me a fucking break. Like, you're gonna tell me that this is from the group of people who told you and I and people who going through what you and I have gone through that we just need to suck it up. And it's just a tweet. All Mm -hmm. of a sudden now this is, this is problematic when it's, I mean, they should, I'm sure that, you know, they would, they would not handle a day receiving some of the messages. I know you have that I have Rachel Sabbath, all of us. So this is, this is going to be your big issue. So it just, it feels disingenuous it feels like a extension of the war quote unquote that Pollyov is is waging on journalists and waging on the media and anytime that someone says something he doesn't like they're gonna push back and we are not used to this because O'Toole wasn't like this and Scheer wasn't like this as leader so this is a new phenomenon for the CBC because Harper did it but he did it quietly this is going to be much more in your face
0: This is my thing is journalism and journalists and, you know, knowing Canadian media, knowing Canadian media, they're going to err on the side of respectability politics and they're going to give them all the leeway to say whatever And we're only going to see pushback in the name of columns, which is why you need columnists like me. (laughs) But, you know, that's the only pushback we're going to see. And they're going to present him like he's, you know, not doing anything destructive. And so if the parliamentary press gallery caves on this one, they're going to be bending over for a long time.
1: We, yeah. And I mean, I think to the other part of this is like, you can, that we need to be able to differentiate between when something is stupid, and maybe a tweet that you probably should have left in drafts, and something that's actually dangerous. And when you conflate the two, you are minimizing the experience of journalists, of politicians who do get regularly threatened. So as an example, yesterday, our favorite right-wing lunatic, Jeremy McKenzie, on his show, um, Mm -hmm. him and another person on his show, threatened, uh, talked about raping Pierre Polyev's wife. What? That's a threat. Yeah. That is a threat. That is dangerous. That is a criminal threat. What Dale did is not. And those are two different things. And we need to be able to talk about those things. And unfortunately, I find that we, we conflate so much of this. And, and Polyev has done this very much throughout the campaign because this is part of his base appeal is like, I'm not going to listen to the mainstream media because they don't tell the truth and they're this and they're that. And, da, 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 da. and he's not going to change. That's not going to change. But the way that people choose to cover him can and it can switch in the way that it is addressing it by showing the nuance of things, and not just repeating. Pierre Paulia is mad about this tweet, so here you go. Instead of providing the nuance of what Dale said, I've seen worse tweets coming out from the from conservatives around Trudeau than than what that what Dale said in that tweet. Like, oh my just, gosh!
0: If if they had to if they had to deal with the shit that Trudeau, I I will say this. I was list- I was in the Wexit Facebook group. A friend added me. It was very instructive because let me just say, the shit that people I like I was just in shock, like hang him. Um, yeah. You know, things like that. And I'm just like not nary a peep from anybody in conservative land.
1: Well, you know, the other day, like, I couldn't sleep because of, well, as you mentioned earlier, because my cat passed away and I was sad. So I was, like, scrolling on Twitter, doom scrolling on Twitter, as one does at two o'clock in the morning. And so I was going through this, like, st- the Trudeau must go hashtag, right? So all of these people have been putting out tweets saying, like, I'm a mother of three and I serve my country and Trudeau thinks I'm a misogynist. And it's right. The responses are are bananas. And the way that people are reacting to this is is nuts. And, but that gets kind of left to the side because Polyev and and Polyev's people don't want to actually address some of the crazy, like there are some people who genuinely do feel offended by what the prime minister said. They don't think it reflects them. They're not crazy people. They just, this is how they feel. But there are people in there who are uttering threats. who are saying insane things who are like, you know, this is like, like like the same kind of people who are also just like Trudeau is actually Castro's son. and Yeah. Like that, so there is a difference, and that was the distinction that actually. And, like, I am not a true apologist, but every time I point this out, people are like, Oh, you must just love true. I'm like, You clearly haven't Googled me,
0: yeah, clearly.
1: Uh, But, you know, in the speech, especially in the French version of what he did, he's very clear that he is not talking about people who are vaccine hesitant, he is not talking about people who have genuine concerns. He's talking about a small section, the mm-hmm. same section, showed up in Ottawa in the convoy, who have, you know, fuck trio bumper stickers, who legitimately believed at one point, what, what was it that they could write the governor general and get her to like remove him. Those are the people he was referring to. The people in Coots in Alberta who brought weapons, who were charged with trying to, with uttering threats and people like that was who he was referring to. But this whole conversation has been weaponized into, you know the ability to criticize Trudeau for anything. I'm saying that he's like he hates anyone who's not vaccinated or he wants everybody. It's just gone to a whole other level. But what's interesting is that the next election is not going to be fought on vaccine mandates. It's mm-hmm. not going to be fought on arrived can. It's not going to be about that. So Polyev is going to have to um, pivot. In some ways, because if the election is not for another two years, no one's going to give a shit about the arrive can app in two years. So how is how are they going to switch when so much of that base appeal has been around freedoms and mandates? And the same thing happens in Alberta. Like we're like, that's a huge section of what our leadership candidates are talking about in terms of who will be our next premier. They're talking about covid restrictions when nobody really is actually still talking about that.
0: so what is the play then affordability no 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 i know people are going to talk i know affordability is going to be on the docket no but what is the play for people who are just all covid all mandates when we don't really have mandates anymore
1: i think it'll be a slow it i would think for for paulia's camp it will be a slow move he already did a video on i don't know friday this week has been like a, bleh, a blur for me, but I think it was Friday where he did a video basically taking credit for the fact that Trudeau got rid of the Arrive Can app, which is not actually due to him, but okay. Um, and then he'll do another one when Trudeau scraps the mask mandate on flights, which I'm assuming he will do in the next little while because no other, pretty much no other country has a mask mandate on flights now, except for us. Um, so I think, you know, he'll do that but then he will slowly dial it back and stop talking about it. And broadly, he will still appeal to the idea of freedom and like, do what you want because that's very key to his messaging too. But -hmm. I think that he'll start focusing on bread and butter issues for conservatives and slowly move to that. So it is affordability. It is tax guns, things like that. Like he will definitely move into that, but it also really depends on what the liberals do. Like, The other piece of this that has allowed Pauliev to become as popular as he is and get the appeal that he has is the Trudeau liberals since they won the last election they've barely sat in the House of Commons at all.
0: Yeah.
1: More than almost anybody else on earth they're barely ever there I I cannot point to one real tangible thing that they have done since they won the last election. So can you?
0: No. What 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 I
1: oh and they're still virtual sitting, which is which is another thing. Like you know, if you have you know preexisting conditions or concerns, fine. But for the vast majority of people, they should be sitting. They should be back in the house, and they should all be there, back in the house.
0: Well, I don't know how they're fighting with public servants when they when they don't seem to want to show up at work either.
1: See, and this this is again messaging that resonates.
0: Yes. And- Rules for rules for thee, but not for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Every time like I people it,
0: notice that shit, and do. that shit builds, and that's yep. what I'm trying to tell. I'm like that, and Canada is a place where it doesn't just react. That reaction builds, right? Till all of a sudden, you're just like, "What is? What happened?" Well, well on you this, paid attention,
1: exactly. And this is where I think it's interesting when we talk when we go back to this, the Bohemian Rhapsody moment. Um, of Trudeau singing that song two days before the Queen's funeral. Right. Was that in and of itself stupid? Like, and not really a bit, shouldn't have been a big deal? No, it shouldn't have been a big deal. Do you know why it was a big deal? Because it builds on so many other different incidences and things that have occurred with the with the Prime Minister. Exactly.
0: It's a build. It's not, it is not, Um. it is not just seen in isolation
1: yeah it's like in isolation
0: it's not a big deal but when you go Aga Khan trip to India trip you know he's always making an ass of himself in general and I feel also like Trudeau was trying to recapture that 2017 magic that 2016 and 17 magic where he could do all those things and everybody thought it was cool and I feel like this is where you don't know how to read a room,
1: because, well, like you-, you
0: said, it's been, it's been, it's it's absolutely, um, been uh, a a good sort of of marketing gimmick for him. As you as we were talking about the young families with young families, what or young politicians you're thinking energy you're thinking they know the times of what they speak you think they're with it you think all of these things mm-hmm. like I had to remind people that when Trudeau first came out he was a he was a tech bro
1: mm-hmm. well and like you know I still remember the when when Pierre Trudeau died and he gave that eulogy Oh, that, right. Yeah. That was the beginning, right? Like that was when it slowly started for him and the momentum for him started because it's, it's, it was a beautiful speech and a beautiful eulogy. And it was, you know, everybody watched it and it was then shown like a million times and it was that building of him and then he ran and he was the MP in Papineau and then he would give these like emotional speeches about whatever he was doing and slowly. <laughs> Built like it. It's not like he came out of nowhere. It was uh, people saw it building, and I think sometimes he forgets there's a big difference between being an up and comer and a rising star in a party and being a seven year prime minister of a country. Like you, you, you can't erase that seven years. You can't. People get tired of you after a while. Like we have, you know, Mulroney won one of the biggest majorities in Canadian history in 1984. And by 1994, the Conservative Party didn't even exist anymore. Right. Chrétien, Chrétien, same thing. Chrétien won back to back to back majorities. He was, he's one of the most successful politicians in Canadian history. Mm -hmm. And two terms later, the Liberal Party was third party. Right. So I think that people forget that you do get exhausted by people. And that's what's happening with Trudeau, whether it's fair or it's not, or it's justified or it's not. People are getting exhausted. And I saw you fighting with someone about this on Twitter the other day about Christia Freeland and whether or not she'd be able to, to, to win for the Liberals. No, she wouldn't. She's not Francophone. Like that's the issue. The Liberals would lose Quebec with someone like Chrystia Freeland. Yeah. So they almost need to keep Trudeau so that they can try to keep their Quebec seat so they mm-hmm. can fight for that. Because unfortunately for someone in Alberta, we realize that by the time you get the vote count from Ottawa, and, from Ontario and Quebec, the election's pretty much over yeah like yeah. there's no there's not there's very rarely a time where it's like oh let's let's see what happens in alberta maybe it'll be a, a change No, so that people so that's what the liberal party is fighting with now with the exhaustion after seven years of the same leader but also the fear of what could happen if he was gone
0: well they built that party around him so what did they they have no succession plan
1: well, parties rarely do, right? Like, I mean, you, it's not all the time that you have like Paul Martin hiding in the corner just waiting for his turn to like- <laughs> back. <laughs> back, but
0: Mr. Dithers.
1: I voted for Paul. I joined the Liberal Party to vote for Paul Martin in leadership, I will say. I liked Paul really? Martin. you really? Yeah, I mean, I still like him. He's still alive. So if you're listening, Paul Martin, thumbs up to you. Yeah, no, I thought he was a great finance minister. i I used to joke he was the best finance minister the Conservative Party never had. and the Kelowna Accord child care like he was trying to accomplish a lot of really big ticket items for the liberals his problem was just that the sponsorship scandal and everything else that happened like he was kneecapped from the beginning and then again like much like I think what we're looking at now we had had I think at that point the liberals have been in power for over a decade Mm -hmm. because when like Christian won in ninety. Three? Yep. Right? Yep. So he won in ninety-three and uh 97? Harper won in two thousand and six. Six. Yeah. So that's a long ass time of a liberal government. And so people were tired. They didn't, it was a change election, and Harper, while well, the public clearly didn't trust him enough at that point to give him a majority government, they gave clearly. him a minority and I think that that's very much what we're looking at by the time that this next election happens. Polyev is in that position, but the difference also will be that Harper won in combination with an incredibly strong NDP party at the time, and that doesn't exist now. So I don't know how that potentially could change the dynamic. There's not going to be an orange wave in 2023 or 2024
0: or 2025. No. No, 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 no. They're lucky. They're lucky if they have an orange whimper. Okay.
1: You The demonizing very rarely works. Right. When...
0: But that's what I'm talking about with like, especially media and Pierre Poilievre, because I see it already. I see the demonization. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm saying this ain't the way. Look, this man is in a toxic relationship with a lot of Canadians. And they still believe he's the one. Okay, so what happens when you tell somebody, you know, that man is shit? They just run closer to the man or the woman or the person, the person. Right. Like it's you're not going to convince people by demonizing him. They need to be more clever because he right now I saw him in the House of Commons. This man looked like the cat that ate the canary. Yep. You know. I was like this man this arrogant man is he knows he's the one to beat and he knows he's deflecting these shots like Wonder Woman's bracelets.
1: Well and it goes back to even you know like again to bring it back to the Alberta context when the NDs ran against Jason Kenney in 2019 they they put like a god knows how much money into ad campaign after ad campaign after ad campaign to to show him as a bad man, a, you know, a, a mean man. Like they had, like, I can't they had the stupid website they put up. They had all of this stuff to try to demonize him. And, you know, it did not work. It did not work because at the time, Jason Kenney was speaking to the issues that Albertans cared about. And Jason Kenney is a skilled politician. Mm-hmm. And so just running off of he's evil, we aren't, vote for us. That's not an ad campaign. That's not a campaign period. And unfortunately, the NDP saw that given that they lost quite badly in 2019. So now in Alberta, you can see that the NDP are shifting. Granted, they don't have a leader to run against yet, uh, but they are shifting to being much more focused on this is what we will do for you. And And that's what they did in 2015, and that's why they won. And I think that if the Liberals want to beat Polyev attacking him is not the way to do it. What is to do it is to start addressing the issues that Canadians are worried and concerned about and not dismissing them and seeming like, because this is the other thing, Christy Freeland does this a lot in the house, which makes me furious. People will bring up issues and she basically puts her hand on her hips and she's like, no, that's not not really a thing when it is actually a thing. Her
0: hand on her hip thing is really grating on my nerves, okay? (laughs) And it's grating on my nerves because it's so fucking condescending. Like, what are you, my I, mom? Are you my mom? Or was I that, raised already?
1: But that also builds into, and this is the thing where, again, the liberals don't seem to have any kind of self-awareness, is there's this book by Peter Newman called When the Gods Changed, and it's about uh, um, Harper winning the election. And in that, he talks a lot about this, this sense that a lot of Canadians have that the liberals are, you know, in some ways also the natural governing party of Canada but that they they get to a point where they're just too smug to deal with anymore. And you're like, yeah. no, no, okay, I want to. And that's, I think the impression that Christy Freeland gives off when she does that, even though that's not me. God knows I wouldn't want to be judged <laughs> in the way I'm judging her body language. But her, Trudeau, a lot of the front bench in that government really gives off that impression of like, they you really don't, do. your concerns, not only do I think you're, you're wrong about the thing you're worried about, but you're stupid to have that worry.
0: Yes. How dare you? Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm having this conversation, the same conversation I had in 2016. And the thing is, like, it's like, and and I uh, apparently, unlike some people, am learning that. Okay, you haven't seen. I haven't gone all ape shit on Pierre Pauliev because I know that that is. That's low hanging fruit. That's what he expects you to do. Mm -hmm. This is what he expects you to do. He expects you to call him a racist. He expects you to call him this, that, and the other. So it's not going to help. I feel like we need more leaders who like got in a fight in school and either got their ass kicked or kicked somebody else's ass because taking a beating is a thing, too. Honestly, like because these tactics are such like schoolyard type of thing, and we seem to think that we've evolved past that. And I'm like, no, honey, no, we haven't.
1: Well, and you know what? Honestly, too, like I would tell any liberal strategist, not that they're like gonna be, you know, banging on my door for my uh, political advice unfortunately for them, but they should go back and listen to the last two years of the Hurley Burley with Jenny Byrne and listen to everything that she's saying, because she is laying out in those podcasts exactly what their elections strategy is going to be. Really? Because from, yeah, from the minute that O'Toole won, she was very clearly like not, and I'm not saying anything that she was not saying herself. She was not a fan And during the election, she spoke about all of the things that she would do differently if she was in that office, why she thought what O'Toole was doing was problematic, Mm -hmm. what would be a better... So they need to go back and listen to every single one of those episodes, and then they will understand what they're up against, because they are not going to be able to bully or push the Polyev uh, government or, or opposition into apologizing into um, going into that media cycle that shear got into all the time. Yeah. He is going to be unapologetically who he is and he is not backing down. He's not going to, to do anything differently. And the liberals haven't encountered that before. And so they need to be able to address that and, and start dealing with it on their own because they're probably going to end up putting the liberals on defensive. They're fucking lucky that Polyev wasn't leader of the CBC during Blackface. I will tell you that because... I think that he would have probably like destroyed Trudeau on that.
0: I'm sorry he wasn't. And I will say it again, I'm sorry he wasn't. Because at least we wouldn't have this collective amnesia. What kills me is that Trudeau could literally burn down a building and people would be like, eh. he's just yep. he was just cold." It's
1: and the I'm same just like, you it no. Exactly the same mindset as when Donald Trump got up at a press conference, I think it was a, or a rally, and said, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and still get elected, basically. No one was saying anything. And, and he was right. Of, he was correct. Yeah. Basically, I mean, like, he's still, like, people worship the ground he walks on, and there's not a lot of difference between the behaviors of people who love Donald Trump and behaviors of people who, like, worship trudeau and he could do no wrong like like yeah. there was yeah on it's twitter- two sides of the same coin you're someone on twitter hurt. once was like oh well he didn't go to this, you know national truth and reconciliation day but you can't criticize him for that because his brother died and that's pretty much exactly the same as residential school people who died and it's like what uh, like where does where does your thinking come from that that's the justification you're going to use but they will defend him regardless of anything. And that, that is one of the things I feel like contributes to the fact that he sucks. Like, I'm sorry for anyone who's listening to this, who's like a big Trudeau stan, but he has done three good things in the entire seven years he's been prime minister. Three. Cannabis, maid, and uh, child care. And
0: I, What's I, the second uh, one?
1: Medical assistance in dying.
0: Eh, even that well
1: the first frame of it like as someone who's whose stepmother received medical assistance in dying i feel very blessed that that was an option for our family
0: gotcha 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 you
1: know that like some of what they've been doing since have been a little bit more muddled um but he promised that and he delivered yeah those are three things that he promised that he delivered but that's it
0: so what should journalists uh or people covering Pierre Polyev, uh, what should they, how should they be doing it? I don't know the answer to this question. Do you?
1: I think part of it is, is really getting into the weeds in some ways on some of the ability for him to deliver on the things that he's saying. Mm -hmm. So for example, he's talked a lot about, he made that video, the breakfast video around, um, making groceries cheaper i would love to see a journalist challenge him and say okay all right then why are you still supportive of supply management if you're so concerned about cost savings for canadians supply management makes dairy more like less affordable for canadians so Mm -hmm. why do you support it?" right That's that's a that's a that's a very important policy discussion Right. I would like to see them question him on how he would accomplish things that he's talking about without it negatively impacting the lowest income Canadians and the most vulnerable Canadians. Right. I don't want to see Twitter conversations about whether or not EI and CPP are taxes or not taxes. I don't care about that. Your average Canadian doesn't care about that. How is he going to ensure that if you lose your job, you will be supported by EI? How is he going to ensure that when you, when you retire, you'll be supported by a pension? I want to, I want to see them push back on those kind of tangible policy things because I think he will have a harder time deflecting those questions than he would if a question was, why are you a racist? Why are you bad? Like he's always going to push back on, do you know what I mean? Like it needs yeah. to be something that has, has roots within the policies options he's putting out there. Right. right. I would like to see them question about childcare. He is on the record as saying that he doesn't believe in universal childcare. Why? what are you going to do for children? What are you going to do for families? How are you going to address those concerns? Because if there's one place that he could lose on, I think it's that.
0: I agree. Um, right now he looks uh, pretty formidable. So you will be back for this Danielle Smith uh, UCP fuckery that we will all have to face. Until next time, everybody, make sure you sign up uh, to subscribe to Bad and Bitchy and make sure you sign up to subscribe to Not In My Color, too, where I'll be. I think I'm going to do more of the educational stuff on there. And um, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it, but you can still sign up for it. And I'll tweet out um, the respective uh, links and put it in show notes to here. We don't have a regular show notes for this episode. Um, I've decided I'm only doing it when Aaron's on the mic. So so I get a break. So anyway, Kristen, we will see you soon. Very soon. Because that next election is when? October
1: 6th. October
0: 6th. Have happy fall, everybody. And have a good week.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Oh, by the way, I have a graphic and it's called a tax, a taxonomy of Trump tweets. So I'm just going to read this first because I think this is really good. Number one, the first step, preemptive framing. Be the first to frame an idea. Example, the hacking of the DNC was the DNC's fault and Democrats lost by a wide margin, when in fact it was one of the narrowest margins in history. So preemptive framing, which Pierre Paulyev does well. Two, diversion, divert attention from real issues um and towards um so what they do is they divert attention from real issues or divert attention from the um from some of the reasons or 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 considerations of real issues and then they steer it towards some type of culture war for example divert attention from real issues around conflicts of interest and russian hacking and towards meryl streep's speech at the golden globes oh, this was a few years ago yeah. I, yeah number 3 is deflection attack the messenger change direction so attack the media in an attempt to erode public trust reframe the story as fake news and establish the trump administration as the source of truth by the way this is a huge pillar of fascism.
1: That- That's also it's actually also almost word for word <coughs> the poly of fundraising email after the David Akin thing.
0: Boom! Number four, the trial balloon. Test public reaction. Test public reaction for example to as you were saying the um. The fundraising email afterwards, right? Uh, We need money to do our own work because these journalists are threatening us, for example. And that's that's basically the play-by-play of how this works. So there, there's something that we gave you that nowhere else can, and that's why you should subscribe to the Bad and Bitchy podcast, everybody.